right, check this out. Uh, this uh, woman one time, she wakes up during the night and she finds that her husband's not in bed. So what'd she do? She goes, looks for him, right, ladies? And so she puts on her robe. She goes downstairs to look for her husband. And sure enough, sure enough, Mickey, get this. She finds him sitting at the kitchen table with this cup of coffee right in front of him, right? And, but she notices that he's really in deep thought. And he's just staring at the wall. And in fact, her heart is touched. Listen, ladies, as she watches him wipe this tear away from his eye. And he takes another sip from his coffee. And so she whispers as she steps into the room. She goes, what's the matter, dear? Why are you down here this time of night? And the husband, he looks up from his coffee and, and he says, he says, do you remember 20 years ago when we were dating and you were only 16? And she says, yeah, I do. I remember that. And the husband pauses and, and Bobby, the words, they're not coming easy. He, he, he said, he said, and do you remember uh, when your uh, father shoved that shotgun in my face and said, you either marry my daughter or I'm going to send you to jail for 20 years. And the wife said, yeah, I remember that too. Lowering herself into the chair. And at this, the husband paused one more time to wipe another tear from his eye. And he simply replied, I would have gotten out today. <laughs> Ooh, ouch. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, folks, I know this hopefully it's not too hard of a test, but how many guys would say that couple probably didn't have a very fulfilling marriage? Can you gather that so far? Okay, and even though they were married for 20 years, okay, they still weren't satisfied, were they? Apparently not. The tears give it away. And maybe that's why one guy said this. He said, listen, guys. He said, in the first year of marriage, the man speaks and the women listen. Right, guys? Yeah. You chickens. All right, the second year, the woman speaks and the man listens, right? right. Yeah, ladies always speak up on that one. And the third year, they both speak and the neighbors listen. Okay, that seems to be what happens. But here's my point, folks, in our study. Is this the kind of relationship, is this the kind of relationship that God had in mind when he instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden? I mean, he's the one that did it, you know? Okay, no, absolutely not is the answer. Now, we need to acknowledge, yes, of course, Adam and Eve blew it uh, in the Garden of Eden, so they blew it for the chances of having a perfect marriage. But the good news is that you and I, listen, even though we may never have, Christian, a perfect marriage, that doesn't mean we have to resign ourselves to a life of personal pain and silent suffering. Again, it just simply means this. It's gonna take some time and it's gonna take some work. And the reason why is because to dispel a life in this world, listen, marriages are not made in heaven. Marriages are made where? They're made right here on earth. Therefore, we're gonna continue uh, to do just that in our study, a marriage built to last here on earth, okay? Now, if you were here last week, we saw that first step in building that lasting marriage is simply to acknowledge the big whopper, you can't get this on the back of a Cheerios box apparently, uh, is that men and women are different, huh? Is that profound or what? Oz, Michaela, you here today? Really? Uh, well, Paul, thanks for raising your hand, but I was looking for Oz and Michaela, so I appreciate that. Let's give it up for Paul, for audience participation. <laughs> but uh, hopefully that's not a sign on their marriage. But I think last week they got the right answer that yes, they are different, even after a week of being married. And what we saw there, folks, in the study, if you were here last week, is that they're, rather than trying to change each other into something not, the good news is we simply just need to acknowledge and appreciate our God-given physical and psychological differences. And when we do that, we realize that, hey, listen, my spouse might not be doing that on purpose just to get back at me, uh, to start a fight or because they don't care. It's just because we're different. And we saw the good news was, listen, when you understand that, that there's some basic wirings that God has done on purpose, they're meant not to conflict, they're meant to complement. And the first step is stop trying to change each other into something you're not and look at how they work together and blend together to make you into better people. Amen? 
okay? But that's not all. The second step in building that lasting marriage, folks, is number two, and that is simply that love is a what? It is an action. And boy, does the world got this one wrong. Let's get the right answer first, and that comes from the Bible. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 is our opening text here. 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, if you find 2 Corinthians, what do you do? Take a love. If you find 3 Corinthians, what do you do? New Bible. There you go. Preach it. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to look at verses 4 through 8. What is love? True love, biblical love. We're going to see what is the kind of love needed if we're going to have a marriage built to last. Hold that thing together all the way to the end. Well, it's simple. You just need to love each other. But again, the world gets it wrong. Let's get it right and let's see what God has to say about that. Now, the first thing, verse 4, he says this. Love is what? Patient. Okay, love is what? Kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And it's not proud. Now, it's neither is it rude. It's not, whoa, whoa, self-seeking. That's not what society says. It's not self-seeking uh, is what the scripture says. Listen, and it's not easily angered. Listen to this one. It keeps no record of right or wrong. You just keep hitting the delete key. We'll get to that, Lord willing, later in our study. We need to reconcile with one another, uh, Lord willing. But anyway, so you don't know record of right and wrong. He says, listen, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Listen, it not sometimes, not when it's convenient, not when it works out with your calendar. The word's there always. It always, listen, protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And because of that, guess what? True love, biblical love, God's love that will hold your marriage together. Love, that love never fails. If you do that love, it will never fail. Now, folks, let's be honest with each other this morning. How many guys have ever heard that passage of scripture before? Now, man, I'm here to help you out because I'm a fellow guy. I are one. And if we will take a moment to find what compartment we stored it in, what box, we'll probably recall that was read during our marriage ceremony. Okay, I'm still here to help you out. And even though, here's my point, we're very familiar with that word love. Okay, here seems to be the problem. We're familiar with the proper meaning of love and because of this marriages today even in the church are suffering why because listen here's the premise true love biblical love the love we just read the right kind of love that is the love I don't care what you've been through what you're going to go through that is the love the foundation that will hold your marriage together and the problem is this if you enter into marriage with the wrong definition of love even as a Christian Okay, how many guys would like to have uh, had the, the uh, 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 when you first got saved, that all the lies and the things that you believe in this world just exited right along with that? That'd be nice, but sometimes we have to renew our mind and we have to get acquainted with the true and unbrainwash ourselves from the lies of this world. And if we, un, if we uh, don't do that when it comes to love, listen, sooner or later, our marriage is going to crumble because the foundation is built on something that's going to crumble the wrong definition of love, okay? And, and so if we're gonna lay that proper foundation uh, of, of love so that we can have marriages that will stand the test of time, how many guys would say, well, I think we better take a look at what that true definition of love is. How about you guys? Hey, great answer. We're gonna do it anyway, but I appreciate your option and, and uh, participation. Now, now listen, here, I'm trying to make it simple for you guys, okay? I'm trying to make this real simple. You know, uh, when it comes to the definition of love, you only got two options. Not 15. Okay, you got two options. Again, again this, is, this is profound. I don't even think you're going to get this on the back of a granola bar, let alone Cheerios box. Your two options are this. There's the right one, and there's the wrong. You guys are awesome. Give yourself a hand. Isn't that awesome? You guys, well, one of these days you'll wake up. Uh, the wrong definition of love. 
<laughs> the wrong definition of love, folks, I think is pretty obvious. And the hello, that's from society. And here's what society says if you haven't paid attention. Get this out of your brain because this will hurt your marriage. And they say love is a feeling. It's just all about feeling, okay? And then the question is, well, where does society get this mistaken idea uh, that love is just a mere feeling, okay? Well, believe it or not, uh, the Bible records for us four different Greek words for the one English word love. Did you know that? Okay, there's four different Greek words for the one English word love. And the problem is our world pays attention to the first three, especially the third one. Let's take a look at what uh, the scripture talks about love. First of all, the Bible talks about a stergo love. Now this is a love of complacency and satisfaction like I love my job or I love my chap or I love my wiener dogs. She's right there. You can ask her later. It's true. Okay, and, and it's, but, but that's, that's what it is. It's kind of that kind of love. Now, the next one is phileo, and that is a love of fondness or affection. Like, I love my friend. Philos Adolphos, phileo, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That's what that is. Kind of like a friendship kind of love the scriptures talk about. But then there's also another one, and that's this one. It's eros. That's a love of passion or feeling. And, of course, that's where we get our English word erotic from. Okay, now, here's another test for you guys. Of those three Greek words, which one do you think is the most popular with our society today? Eros, that's right. You got the correct answer. Give yourself... Hey, you're catching on, finally, praise God. All right, now here's the problem with that. It's because of this, the average person today, listen, think that when you talk about love, you just need to love each other. You gotta stay it, stick it out. You gotta love, you gotta love. This is what they're thinking going through their brain. And they think that love is merely a physical pleasure or it's just a bunch of these fabulous feelings that somehow, someway, listen, here's the word that they use, the other person he is my soulmate. Oh. And what they mean by soulmate, listen, is that person uh, has now become your emotional soulmate, but you're so well fitted together that you will have nothing but these emotional googly googlies in your gut. You'll always just be full of fabulous feelings. Yes, those of you married shook your head very quickly on that. Uh, and, and yeah, that's, 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 that's a misnomer like this guy talks about. Let's take a look and see what happens after you're married a while. Let's take a look here. I love it when I, I see new couples, man. That new couples, they just get married and they have just have it figured out, you know. They have all the answers. They have this whole marriage thing. Oh, it's so easy. They're always bragging about their relationship, you know. You hear them talking, it's so amazing. Our marriage is so amazing. <laughs> What's so great about it? It's so spiritual. It's like we're joined at the soul. The soul. <laughs> what do you mean? It's like we finish each other's sentences all the time. We finish each other. I'm like, big deal. I don't care how long you've been married. You always finish each other's sentences. I've been married for 15 years. I'm like, hey, honey, can you make your own sandwich? <laughs> that is weird, because that's just what I was going to do. I was going to see if you want me to make you one, too. Oh, hey, man, that video would be funny if what? It weren't so true. Okay, folks, we know with experience that the googly googies are cool. Pay attention next week. We'll get into that, how to keep that going. Uh, but pretty soon, once you're married, you know, if it's, it's, it's uh, you're making your own sandwich. You know what I'm saying? It's just going to happen, okay? And here's the point. This emotional passion, uh, the feelings, okay, they kind of change over time, right? All right, now, now listen, folks, he, he, here's, here's the point. There's nothing wrong with passion. Now, within the confines of marriage, I'll say that. 
Okay, and passion is a wonderful emotion. It's a powerful force. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, passion is so powerful, that's usually what causes us to get married in the first place. Okay, but the problem is, here's the point, folks. This is where society gets it detrimentally wrong, is that although passion can get you married, listen, passion alone cannot make your marriage last. Passion can get you married, but it can't make your marriage last. Why? Because passion is built on eros. It's built on feelings. And the problem, if you're trying to build a foundation on that, you're messed up. Okay, feelings, hello, they, they don't last. They're up one minute, they're down the next. And, and next thing you know, you're making your own peanut butter jelly sandwich, right? And so if you try to build your relationship on that, just feelings, guess what? Your marriage is up one minute, your marriage is down the next. You feel great about each other this, you feel good about that. And you go, ah, uh, ah, uh, right? That's what happens, okay, if you do that. Now, now, if that wasn't bad enough, that's enough. That's where you get a lot of erratic behavior. Around, do I, do I, don't I, it's unstable. Okay, but, but I've learned something else, okay. Our society's also cashed in, not only on the wrong definition of love that they say it's a feeling, but they've cashed in on this and they produce what I call a consumeristic love. A consumeristic love. Let me explain uh, that to you, okay. For instance, when you and I buy a consumer product, okay, listen to this like a new car or something like that. I mean, it comes with that new car smell. Thank you, you finally got that. Okay, uh, but, but what's the problem after like a week or uh, two weeks or two months that new car smell kind of goes away, right? How many guys, when you first bought that thing, you said, all right, we got a brand new rule. You can't eat, you can't drink, you can't even breathe in this car. We're gonna keep this baby clean, unlike the other ones that turned into whatever. Uh, but no, okay, but, but, but eventually, try as you might, the new car smell goes away, right? That initial excitement of having that new car wears out over time, right? So what does our society tell us to do? You gotta keep that car, you gotta make the best of it. No, what do they say, Bobby? That's right, go get another new one with even more excitement and more new car smells, okay? But then what happens after that car? You got a couple more months and guess what? That starts to wear out too and the smell goes away and on and on it goes, listen, they've trained us consumeristically. They've trained us to always search for a new exciting adventure from a new car smell. And that's just cars. Now here's my point with marriage. Listen guys, I'm telling you, society's infected our thinking. Because of this consumeristic influence from society, listen, today most people really aren't concerned, I'm convinced, even in the church, we're not really concerned about loving each other. Rather, people are treated like products who merely are being used to satisfy our craving for a passionate feeling. Let me say that again. People today aren't really concerned about loving each other, the true definition of love. Rather, people are being treated like products than they exist just to satisfy our craving for a passionate feeling. We don't, listen, we don't really want to love each other. We just want somebody around to make us feel good. It's so spiritual. <laughs> but it'll never last. It will never last. And so guess what? So, so what is society to do? Now, not with the car, but now with the relationship, even a marriage, okay? What happens when you lose that constant emotional high, that passion, and you're making your own peanut butter jelly sandwiches? What do you do? What do they tell you to do? Go dump that person, go get another one, like just like a brand new car. But sooner or later, that the excitement, and there is a, an initial excitement of a new relationship, but eventually that goes away, and so on and on it goes into this uh, consumeristic love, I call it, always searching for that passionate feeling, and it never ends and it'll never satisfy, and it's a horrible foundation, it'll never work. But that's what we've been trained to do. We treat each other like products, not people, and we have no idea what love is, okay? And because of this lie that love is just a feeling, 
Okay, listen, and that people are mere products to uh, give us an emotional high, is it any wondering that marriages are crumbling around us all over the place? Not at all, folks. And is any wonder that so people, listen, it's so popular for people today, and they say and think this, listen, that when, the, when, when they are making their own sandwich, when it's been a long time since they said, it's so spiritual, okay? And, I mean, it's been quite some time, and they feel, listen, not as passionate about their spouse. Listen, then they've been trained to say this next lie, and they say this phrase as if it's so honorable, I guess I've fallen out of love with them. Right? That's how you describe that, apparently, according to the world. But folks, can I tell you something? That is a lie from the pit of hell. Listen, we do not fall out of love with each other. Listen, we choose to stop loving each other. You don't fall out of love. You, at some point in time, chose to stop loving that person, okay? And folks, I'm telling you in the church today, not just the world, when are we gonna realize that true love has nothing to do with just mere feelings? And we've got to stop treating each other as husbands and wives as a consumer product that only exists to satisfy our cravings for an emotional high. And as long as we think that, and I, I understand the world doesn't know better, but as the church, we're supposed to lead the way by example. And as long as we think that, folks, that love is a mere feeling, we're going to not have that firm foundation to build our marriages on. And sooner or later, guess what? Christian, your marriage is gonna come crumbling down too. Get rid of the false definition of love out of your brain now. And let's get acquainted with that. So if we're gonna build that proper foundation, how about we do get acquainted with that proper, uh, correct definition of love? Tom, what do you think? Hey, let's do it. Praise God. Give it up for Tom. He's awesome, right? And folks, it's pretty obvious the right definition of love, hello, is not from our society. It's from who? Our Savior, Jesus, okay? Uh, and our Savior says that love is an action. It's not a feeling. Love, true love, biblical love is an action. Let's take a look now at the fourth Greek word that society seems to skip over, okay? But this is the one that's gonna hold your marriage together. It's called agapao, okay? And it's a love of self-sacrifice. Notice that, self-sacrifice, not all about you. Self-sacrifice, it's a love that impels the one loving to give himself or herself in self-sacrifice for the well-being of the one who is loved. In other words, you do it regardless, okay? that's the love that we're supposed to build our marriages upon. It's not eros, it's agapao. Now this is what's wild. This is the Savior's kind of love, okay? This is the exact same kind of love that God demonstrated self-sacrificially to you and I. In this passage, we quote all the time. John three sixteen. for God so loved eros, sterigo? No, this is the word agapao. For God so loved self-sacrificially, purely for the benefit of somebody else, can you say you and me, the world that he gave his, that's action. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, God didn't base his love for you and I on a mere feeling. Anybody glad about that? He didn't base his love for you and I on a particular behavior. Well, now you really blew it. I'm gonna stop loving you. How many of you guys glad you'll never hear, listen Christian, you'll never hear this from God. I guess I've fallen out of love with you. Think about it. Now listen, folks, this is the exact same word that's used, okay, uh, for true biblical love. This is the kind of love that God demonstrates to you and I. This is the kind of love he did something about it. 
It's not just a feeling, it's an action. It's a self-sacrificial action. God loved us so much, he self-sacrificially gave his son Jesus Christ, okay? Now, the problem is this attitude of self-sacrifice is absolutely foreign to our society. Listen, and so most people have no idea what to even look for in a so-called loving relationship. They play games with each other, superficially. Like this couple, listen to this, there's this guy, his name is Joe, and he sets up his friend uh, Jim, and he goes on this blind date with this female friend of his, right? And, but Jim, he's a little bit worried about uh, going out with somebody he's never seen before, right? And so Jim says, he says, hey man, he, he said, what, what do I do if she, if she's not very attractive, I'll be stuck with her all night long. And Joe says, hey man, don't worry. Here's what you do. You just go up to her door and you meet her first, right? And if you like what you see, everything goes as planned, right? But if you don't, just, just shout, ah! and fake an asthma attack, right? And get out of there, right? So, so that night, Jim, he knocks on the girl's door and when she comes out, <laughs> he's awestruck, man. How incredibly beautiful she is. And she's a total knockout. And he's about to speak when all of a sudden the girl grabs her chest and goes, ah! <laughs> That's what he gets, right, ladies? <laughs> oh, wow. Folks, I'm telling you, that's like our world today. Most people don't have any idea what makes for a true loving relationship. They're still playing games, listen, looking for that perfect feeling, that superficial thing in other people. But I'm telling you, folks, if you and I really love each other, we are not going to play games with each other. Listen, husbands, listen, wives, we are going to give ourselves to each other self-sacrificially, regardless of the other person, just like Jesus did and does for us today. That will hold your marriage together. But I want to break it down for you and give you two ways that this self-sacrificial love looks like so we can break it down and just get it out of the nebulous and let's make it practical. Anybody for that? Okay, let's do that. The first thing that true love and action requires, listen, is you need to have no stipulations on it. True love, biblical love, means you're not going to have stipulations on it, okay? You see, our society, guys, not only says that love is a mere feeling, but they have conditioned us to think that love comes with strings attached. And once again, it's an influence from the media, all right? Now, this is the way we've been uh, trained and ingrained in our brains all, from we high, Listen to what society says. Ladies, I'll start with you. Do they not say, strings attached, do they not say that you'll be loved if, strings attached, if you're skinny? Isn't that a big giant message today? Do they not say, ladies, you'll be loved if, if you adorn yourself with this particular brand of makeup? Ladies, you'll be loved if you wear this brand of clothing and on and on it goes. If, if, strings attached, you do that, then you'll be loved. Guys, they do the same thing with us. They'll say, hey guys, that's right, you, you, wanna, you wanna have a loving relationship? You, you'll be loved if you rise to the corporate ladder and makes tons of cash. Or no guys, you'll be loved if you drink this particular brand of alcohol. No guys, you'll be loved if you drive this big manly truck. Right. Okay, let's just move on. Uh, but that's what they say. <laughs> but isn't that what they say? That's what they're conditioned of. Strings attached, love comes with strings attached. That's not what the Bible says. What did we just read? This is not agapa, O love. It is a love that is not sacrificing yourself for another person. It is a false love. It is stipulating. It's imposing a condition on your decision to actively love another person. And it's the exact kind of opposite love that we are to demonstrate each other as husbands and wives. There are no stipulations in this command from God. One for each of us. Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 25. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Period. 
Next one. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Period. End of discussion. And again, hopefully most of us are well acquainted with that passage. Yet, How many times, listen, I just quoted it to you. How many times have you heard it said from the wives, oh yeah? Oh yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll submit to my husband as the spiritual leader as soon as he loves me. Christ loves the church. Yeah, that's right, man. Preach it. Or no, how many of you guys heard it from the, the husbands? We do the same thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, you got me, preacher. All of my wife, uh, just like Christ loved the church, as soon as she starts supporting me as spiritual leader of the home. And then we take off on that manly truck. No, huh? Right? Now, folks, can I, can I point something that's pretty obvious? Uh, first of all, uh, that's not love. Okay, that's a false love. That's what, that's what the world does. It's called strings attached. But can I point out something in that passage? Did you notice there was no uh, stipulations there? Did you know that there's no if-then statements? Well, ladies, you only have to do that. But as soon as your husband does this, or if he does that in subsection B, A, B, C, side C, D, then you don't have to. Husbands, same thing with you. Hey, but you only do it. But the minute she does this now, she doesn't do this or that, and then you don't have to, and you get the escape clause. There are no if-then statements. It's you simply do it. Husbands, you, regardless, are to self-sacrificially, no strings attached. God says, love your wives regardless of whether they support you ever as the spiritual leader of their home. Now, not condoning that behavior, but have you learned that God is the one who gives out the spankings? You focus, Christian, on what God's called you to do. He'll take care of that. Okay, and the same thing, ladies, likewise, wives, you are self-sacrificially to submit to your husbands as a spiritual leader, regardless if they ever love you as Christ loved the church. Okay, now here's my point. That kind of love, true love, biblical love, love in action, that's not easy, is it? It comes at a price. That's why it's called agapao. And for you and I to receive agapao love from God through his son, that came at a price too, didn't it? It's not gonna be easy, but that is the kind of love that will hold our marriages together. That is the kind of love that God demonstrated when he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. It's a self-sacrificial love, no stipulations offered as a free gift. That will keep your marriage together. Now, here's the point. You really need to get that now, especially where Oz and Kyle aren't here today. Uh, the younger marriages, you really gotta get it now, I'm telling you. Uh, save yourself some he headache, okay? Because the older you get, the longer you've been married, the more it's gonna become a challenge to love like this. Okay, and the reason why is because our bodies are going to change and start wearing out. Have you noticed that? And we're gonna go through this transformation process. And if it's all just built on feelings with stipulations, you're in a heap of trouble. All right, for instance, ladies, one day you look over at your husband, and you notice, listen, listen, maybe you've seen this before. He's got this large bulbous thing growing out of his midsection. I mean, it's huge, right? And it wasn't there when you walked down the aisle. And you're thinking to yourself, whoa, did, did, did he ingest tapeworms last time he was hunting and they're multiplying and swelling up or something? And should I call a doctor? Is it gonna pop? Is it gonna blow? Ah, what is that thing, right? Or no, you think more emotionally with your, your brain going like that. And you think, well, wait a second, wait a second. Maybe he's trying to identify with my pain of childbirth like when I was carrying our two children. But you realize that's not medically possible. So you scream, what is that thing? Oh. Men, maybe this happened to you. One day you wake up and you look over at your wife and discover she's not quite the same gorgeous woman she was when she walked down the aisle. 
okay? And so you roll over in bed and you see that she's got these two sliced cucumbers on her eyeballs, okay? She's got this green paint stuff. She's looking like an alien, man. And, and they've been there all night, so they're all dried up and it looks like she's got mold coming out of her head. And, and then you see that her tongue is hanging out and drool's coming off of it, running down her tree, cheek. And it's just this dry, crusty drool trail and her, her makeup's come off and her hair's all messed up. Worse yet, she looks over at you and sees you don't even have any hair. And that's just the beginning. If you're long enough, pretty soon you learn one day that the real reason why they call it the golden years is because you need so much of it to pay for your medication. You know what I'm saying? And that's it. You go in the living room and you can't even get that rocking chair going. You, you, your idea of weightlifting is just standing up and then it realizes it hits you. Listen, you finally got your head together, but your body falls apart. Everything hurts. What doesn't uh, hurt doesn't work. And most of the people in your address book now starts with the name doctor. <laughs> it's going to happen. Now, here's my whole point, folks. That's a natural course of life. And unless your marriage is built on the proper foundation of love, no stipulations, regardless of what you've transformed into, tapeworms or not, cucumbers come out of your head, because the person has changed, because the passion may not be there like it used to be, you're gonna be tempted to say this lie. I guess I've fallen out of love with them because they don't look like and they don't make me feel like the way they used to. That's a lie from the pit of hell. People, what do we just read? True love, biblical love, it's got no stipulations. It's offered freely regardless of the other person just like Jesus did for us. Anybody glad he's doing that and has done that for us? You want a marriage built to last? Do that for each other. The second thing that true love requires is a solid commitment. A solid commitment. This is so lacking today, no wonder family's messed up. Okay, Song of Solomon, let's take a look at just one passage here. <clears throat> he talks about uh, chapter eight, verse six. He says, place me like a seal over your heart or like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death and it's jealousy as enduring how long? To the grave. Folks, I'm telling you, this is just one passage. We're going to get to some other ones. But if we're going to have those strong, healthy marriages as Christians, then we are not going to only need to put love in action just once in a while. The scripture is very clear. You need to put that love in action how long? All the way to the grave. And for some reason, I think it's a societal influence. And I think it's a selfish influence. But for some reason, when we get married, this seems to be one of the first things we forget. I mean, we went through the marriage ceremony and probably all of us repeated those words, right? Till death do us part, okay? And it wasn't just a promise, an empty promise, okay? It was a solid commitment to be there for each other. Listen, in rich times and in poor times, for better times, for worse times. In fact, whether you realize it or not, folks, listen, this is wild. Our marriage ceremony was a contract signing ceremony. Did you realize that? It was a contract signing um, ceremony and we were pledging ourselves to fulfill certain obligations just like in a contract. Now we use the word covenant, but what in the world do you think the word covenant means? It means contract. And it's such a big contract signing ceremony. Listen, listen to how we did this. The contract was not only signed, said, and done between you two, but it was done with a minister presiding over the whole thing. You actually invited a whole slug of people to come witness this contract signing. And then you're asking God Almighty to bust the signing of this contract. That's how huge it is. How many guys went through that ceremony the last car you bought? Okay. 
How about the last house, last anything? Nothing. Okay, and this tells us, folks, how important our marriage contract is. It's very clear in the scripture. It's the second most important decision you'll ever make. The first one was your marriage contract covenant with Jesus Christ. He uses the same word. Every time we celebrate communion, guys, we are remembering our marriage contract with Jesus. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. In the same way, after supper, he, Jesus, takes the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant. You know what that is? Contract. This is the new contract in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, okay? Is anybody glad here that our new contract, our new covenant with Jesus is secure? Is anybody glad that Jesus is personally solidly committed to our contract to the point where he actually signed it with his own blood? Anybody? All two of you? Okay. Which means the scripture is clear. Anybody glad about this? Jesus Christ will never turn his back on us as his bride and he will never divorce us. Anybody glad about that? This is the same word that is used to explain our marriage ceremony. It's a contract. And God is expecting that thing to be a solid commitment to be there all the way to the end, just like with Jesus, committed completely till death to you apart. And this is why I think Jesus makes this statement. He adds on the end, speaking of marriage, he adds on to the end of it. We saw this last week, Matthew 19, verse five through six. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. You're gonna get married, right? And then the two is gonna become one flesh, right? Well, listen, so he says, obviously, they're no longer two but one. But he adds this, what? Therefore, what God has joined together in this contract, let not man separate. Can I translate that for you? Don't you even think of breaking your contract. That contract is serious. And it's supposed to be all the way to the end. Now, here's the problem. That's not what society says, is it? Not at all. Dump them. Go get somebody else as soon as you don't have that emotional high. Okay? But then, to make matters worse, and this is even coming to the church, our society, listen, not only honors that contract all the way to the end, but listen, they don't even want to make a solid commitment before you even get married. And what they want to do is they want to cheat God's way, okay? And they got all the different verbiage for it. It's called living together before marriage or cohabitation. But hey, listen, call it what you will. The Bible calls that fornication, Okay, and it's a sin, okay? Listen, you don't get to have your cake and eat it too. Even in the world, they know this, folks. You don't get to drive a car around for free for two years before you make a commitment to buy the thing. You don't get to live in a house for five years for free without having to pay a mortgage to the bank. It doesn't work that way. And can I tell you something? It doesn't work that way in marriage. This is how far our society has gotten off track. Don't believe me? Hey, listen to God. He doesn't approve of this, folks. You're supposed to do it his way. He's the one who instituted marriage, you know. Let me just, uh, a couple passages that the Bible talks about living together. Listen to this. John, this is Jesus speaking at the woman at the well. Chapter four, verse 16 through 18. He says, go and get your husband. Jesus told her. He said, I don't have a husband. The woman replied. Jesus said, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're what? Living with now. Uh, question. Was Jesus condoning her lifestyle? Or because he loved her, he loved her enough to tell the truth, you're doing something that's gonna hurt you. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, that's what he was doing, folks. He called it out. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be what? 
honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure for God is going to judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. First Corinthians 6, 18 to 19, flee, don't flirt with it, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You're not your own. Can I tell you something? Do you not realize that God sees in the dark? He's right there the whole time. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, meaning set apart for him, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen, Eros, who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or sister or take advantage of him. Ladies, can I be blunt for you? I'm gonna play dad for a minute, okay? Because this is my theory of my daughter. Listen, if some guy's pressuring you to break God's command and who's not interested in giving you you a solid commitment with the ring on the finger walking down the aisle, dump them. You need a godly man who will be there for you and who will love you as Christ loved the church, which means he's committed to be there for you till death do you part. Don't give him nothing until he gives you a commitment. But that's the dad in me. And finally, this is 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Abstain from all appearance of evil. We can go on and on, but I think that's pretty obvious, folks. What's the stance from the scripture on this issue? In other words, don't even uh, mess with it. Don't even go there, okay? You've got to deal with this fact that God doesn't uh, approve of this, okay? Why? Because he loves us. Uh, when Jesus told that uh, lady at, at the well, it's because he really didn't like her and he had a personal pet peeve against her. No. Can I tell you something? Sin hurts. Sin destroys. Sin will destroy you. It'll destroy other people. And because God cares, he loves people enough to tell them the truth. Don't avoid all appearances. Don't even go there. Don't get this appearance that you're married when you're not. You're lying. You're not just being a hypocrite. It's a sin that should be destro uh, uh, that will destroy you. It has to be avoided. Don't go there. Why would you pack dynamite in your house? Boom, oh, maybe it'll blow up, maybe it won't. Why even bring it in your house? Now listen, see, it's one thing to reject God's scripture, which I don't recommend, by the way. But see, the people who promote this as a way of having a solid, great marriage, they don't tell you the truth. They don't tell you what kind of dynamite you're bringing into your house. Let's take a look at some statistics on cohabitation living together, and you tell me if it benefits anybody. Secular research, some of this, folks, by the way, take a look at this. Now, uh, cohabitation or living together prior to marriage in the U.S. has been increased more than 1,500%. And so is it any wonder that marriages and families are crumbling? It's going crazy. Nobody wants to sign a contract. More than 60% of all marriages are preceded now by this behavior, cohabitation. Nearly half of 20-somethings agreed with the statement, you would only marry someone if he or she agreed to live together with you first so that you could find out whether you really get along. Really? Oh, and, and then two-thirds said they believed that moving in together before marriage was a good way, listen, to avoid divorce. Okay, so my question is, did God get it wrong? Here's what they don't tell you, folks, uh, with this. Couples who live together before marriage, and especially before an engagement, or otherwise clear what? Commitment, tend to be less satisfied with their marriages, even if they do get married. Number one. Number two, couples who live together before marriage are more likely to divorce. Completely opposite of what the rationale is. And more open to divorce than couples who do not live together before marriage. Women are more likely to view uh, uh, living together as a step towards marriage, while men are more likely to see it as a way to test a relationship or postpone a commitment. Can I say it again? Dump them. 
dump him. Why should he make a commitment? You're giving him stuff that should be reserved for marriage. Hold your ground. Be the precious vessel that God's called you to be. Uh, the more months couples live together, the less enthusiastic they are about marriage and childbearing. Uh, annual rates of depression among couples that live together are uh, more than three times what they are for married couples. And the level of depression rose the length that you continue to be unmarried. It got worse as you went. Couples who live together prior to marriage report lower levels of happiness, lower levels of sexual satisfaction, poor communication, and poor relationships with their parents. The longer they live together before marriage, the more likely they were to resort to heated arguments, fights, aggression, disagreements, hitting, and violence when conflicts arose. And women with live-in relationships are more likely to suffer physical and sexual abuse than married women. And women who with live-in relationships are not nine times more likely to be killed by their partner than were married women. And this is supposed to be the way to go? But what about the kids? I mean, well, folks, unfortunately, that's not working. Uh, research reveals that what? Commitment. Commitment are, and stability are the core of a child's need. But guess what? You live together, there is no commitment. You're not meeting the needs of the child. All right, let's continue on. Yet now, 40% of all children in the United States spend time in cohabitating households, almost half. Well, what's that doing to them? 2011 report, folks, hot off the press, said that children in cohabitating households are more likely to suffer from a range of emotional and social problems such as drug use, depression, dropping out of high school, behavior problems, and lower academic performance compared to children of intact married families. It's hurting the kids as well. Children living in cohabitating households are eight times more likely to be harmed than children living with married biological parents. In fact, the most unsafe family environment for children outside the womb is now one in which the mother lives with the boyfriend, the most dangerous place for a child. Crazy. And that's why every study, folks, indicates that living together does not produce healthier, happier marriages or children, but the exact opposite. Now listen, I had to add this. The research has shown that part of the reason why we see this massive rise of cohabitation is the what? The church's failure in teaching the truth about sexuality and marriage. Can I translate that for you? Christians and churches and pastors are wimping out and taking a stand on God's word. Let me translate it in view of what Jesus did for the woman at the well. You didn't love them enough to tell them the truth that they were involved in a behavior that wasn't just sin, it will bring destruction upon them. You kept your mouth silent while they were hurting themselves and their family. I wouldn't want to be a part of that church. I want somebody to love me enough to tell me the truth and risk the relationship. I don't know, it sounds to me like breaking God's rules and cheating on the marriage covenant and living together probably isn't the way to go. How about you guys? I mean, it's almost like God really does know what's best for us. You know what I'm saying? All right, folks, here's the facts. Healthy families come from healthy, committed marriages that make a strong commitment to be there till death do we part before you ever come together as one. That's the facts. Now, unfortunately, even though this is clear in the scripture, it's gotten so bad today, guys, listen, that society's attitude uh, has crept into the church where we will listen, not only love people enough to tell them the truth about the dangers of cohabitation, listen, it's gotten so bad, we now have so-called church leaders who say that even if you do get married, listen, there's no need to be there till death do you part. You can go ahead and break your contract. Especially if they have Alzheimer's. This is how bad it's gotten, folks. We have got to turn the ship around. Let's take a look at that.
Tonight, there is a debate among a lot of friends and families about love, loyalty, and commitment. It began with a thunderbolt from evangelist Pat Robertson on his television show saying divorce was justified if a spouse was suffering from Alzheimer's. It was a question on the 700 Club, Pat Robertson's talk show. A woman looking for moral guidance asking about a friend whose wife has Alzheimer's. He says that he should be allowed to see other people because his wife, as he knows her, is gone. Robertson, an ordained Baptist minister for 50 years, responded. I, I know it sounds cruel, but he's, he, if he's going to do something, he should divorce her and start all over again. But, uh, you know, to make sure she has custodial care, and if he says, in a sense, she is gone, he's right. It's like, it's like a walking death. So. Walking death. Hey, how about this, Mr. Robertson, with all due respect? How about it's you don't go walking until there is an actual death? That's what we're supposed to do. The vows we made, folks, were not some mere fluffy religious speech. They were a solid commitment to self-sacrificially be there for that person, come what may, till death do we part, period, all the way to the grave. We needed to be there for each other as we promised in the contract, for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, and that includes Alzheimer's. No wonder, even in the church, families are falling apart. Marriages are crumbling. We have got to get back to the true definition of love, biblical love, no stipulations, solid commitment, all the way to the end. I want to close with how you're supposed to fulfill your contract with a different Robertson. Here's the right way to do it. True story, Robertson McQuilkin, he was a young man who dreamed of becoming the president of Columbia Bible College. And he adored his father who had held that position and he aspired to someday take his father's place. Well, one day his dream came true. He became the president of Columbia Bible College. And he served as president for a number of years and he led Columbia to become a premier Christian institution that prepared hundreds of young people for service, both in the United States and abroad. Then one day, a tragedy struck in his household. His wife began to show symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. And in a matter of months, there were dramatic consequences. She not only lost the memory of much of their life together. Listen, she was unable to even recognize who he was. She lost all awareness that he was even her husband. So Robertson McQuilkin made his decision. Listen, he resigned the presidency of Columbia so he could give full-time care to his wife. Without hesitation, he walked away from his calling as an act of love for her. Listen, in the church, there were realists who told him that there was no point in doing what he was doing, that anybody could take care of his poor wife, but nobody could be the president of Columbia Bible College. And after all, she, she didn't even recognize him when he came in the room to help her. And then there were the pious critics who brought up the fact that he was walking away from a calling from God and he was letting his personal concern for his wife interfere for his service to the Lord. Listen, his answers were significant. He readily admitted that his wife didn't know who he was, but the important thing was he still knew who she was and she was still the same beautiful woman that he married those years ago. And he said this, there's only one more thing important than a calling. Oh, come on. And that is a promise. And I promised to be there for her till death do we part. That's love. 
That's biblical love. That's fulfilling your contract. And that's the kind of love that will give us a marriage built to last. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full 
the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, They certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.